We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's now time for the Miller Lite Top Draft Show. With Mark Grody. Where's Grody? We only get to leave at 5.55 if Grody makes it to the Miller Lite Top Draft Show that starts at 6. Going from Hallis Hall to Oak Forest has gone from 5.27 to 5.34, and now it says Hazard ahead. And Chicago Bears legend Lance Briggs. Backpedaling as he throws low, and there's a turnover. Off the hands of Driver and into the arms of Briggs. Aaron Rodgers is wondering what the heck happened. Brought to you by Miller Lite. Somehow, someway, I have made it from Bears headquarters in Lake Forest on the North Shore all the way to the south suburbs here, and I find myself very happy to be at Night Games Bar and Grill in Oak Forest for this, the the second consecutive night of it, the Miller Lite Top Draft Broadcast. Yes, I am Mark Grody. I'm going to be here with you until 9 o'clock tonight right here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 to score. But from 7 o'clock until 8.30, Lance Briggs will be with me, sitting right next to me. We are, again, outside in Oak Forest at Night Games Bar and Grill. Briggs will be here from 7 o'clock until 8.30, and we will talk about the Chicago Bears. And what a great week to have Briggs here because we're going to be talking Bears and Packers with Lance Briggs. And um, if you don't know this about Lance Briggs, not only did he face Aaron Rodgers, so he, we could talk all night about Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers and what their offense does and how frustrating it can be. But Briggs also also played against Brett Favre. So one of the questions I want to ask him, I don't want to give away the questions if he's listening right now, but I'm, I'm going to. I will allow him to think about it. I want to know from, from Lance Briggs which quarterback is better out of those two, Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers. Which one was more difficult to play against. So that that's just one of the many things I will be asking Lance Briggs when he joins me here in about an hour from from right now. And uh, just because I am remote and not in the cozy studios of downtown Chicago, I'm even in better studios because I'm outside and there's food. And I've got my Diet Coke here and I'm ready to to broadcast. But I'd like to hear from you too all night. 312-644-6767. That is the number to text us or to call us. You could find me on all the various forms of social media if you like as well. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, on Facebook as well, on Twitter, at Mark Grody Sports. And usually I will, I'm tweeting Bears information of the day. I'm going to get to the White Sox here in a second. As a matter of fact, Scott Merkin 
will join me at 6.20 tonight, so about 15 minutes from now, actually more like 6.25. But a little bit, uh, I want to tell you about my day at the Bears just really quickly, and obviously we're going to hit the Bears very hard. But the, the Bears today, they did practice indoors, raining all day in Lake Forest. I'm sure it was wherever you are living. It looks pretty damp here in the south suburbs as well. Um, Allen Robinson did not practice today for the Bears. A bit of a surprise. He's got an, an ankle issue. I did. I saw him in the bubble in the Walter Payton Center. He was there, so I guess that is that's encouraging. He was there working and stretching and things like that. But the part that we get to see, we don't get to see the all-out actual practice. So you should know that Allen Robinson was out today, and that's certainly something to monitor. The good news, as far as the injury report is concerned, and and Justin Fields is that Fields practice in full and the only reason I'm making any kind of a deal out of this is because you know in the last game in in Vegas he came out of the game for a series or so or a couple of plays he had the the knee injury and he also took the shot to the ribs again and when we asked him before practice today about the knee you know how you doing you gonna be all right he said I'll be fine by Sunday and that that immediately, you know, the the antenna went up a little bit, and I asked him too, can you just confirm? Does that mean that you're feeling some pain? That the knee is not 100%? And he just looked at me and said, I'll be fine by Sunday. But he does not appear on the the injury list, so he was not limited, which would mean that he was a full participant in practice today. So Justin Fields, true to his word, good to go, and he'll be hopefully 100% by Sunday. So obviously feeling a little bit of pain uh, in that knee. A couple other things, too. Um, as expected, Jeremiah Tachu, he was lost for the season, a torn pectoral injury. He's the outside linebacker for the Bears, one of the depth pieces in that regard. Travis Gibson who has become a promising prospect all of a sudden, has had a couple of sacks this year. Look for him to play an even larger role than he has so far this year, and he has been getting his you know plenty of reps with the Bears defense and the rotation at outside linebacker so far this year. A um, couple other news notes before we go on to the, the White Sox. Uh, Effetti is Jermaine Effetti, that is, the Bears starting right tackle. He was placed on injured reserve, which, again, in these COVID times means an automatic three weeks. So that is when he will be allowed to return to practice and potentially play again for the Bears. So the problems and injuries on the offensive line continue to stack up. Elijah Wilkinson, we were told today, probably will be the guy to continue to play right tackle. Ryan Nall and uh, Sam Kamara both activated from the practice squad to the the real roster so those are some of the bears notes we'll get we'll dig more into the actual bears packers game once lance briggs gets here at uh, seven o'clock tonight here at uh, night games bar and grill in oak forest for the miller light top draft broadcast all right on to the the white Sox, and i know that Sox fans you've had a chance now maybe to let this let the loss digest and it was a bad exit this this was a bad ending to the White Sox season you wanted them to at least win a series um, this year to be able to say that this core of players has made progress they didn't do that so you you have to say that this was not a year in which the the White Sox were were successful there's three people that I want to talk about right now uh, before we go to Scott Merkin, and that is that is Craig Kimbrell, that is Tony Larusa, and uh, that is White Sox fans. I'll start with Tony Larusa, and I think I've told you guys this 
uh, prior when Tony Larusa was hired. And I know that there was a lot of rage when when he was hired. When I was working with the Cubs doing pre and post, I think it was in 2017 when he was with Arizona. I'd had some rough experiences with Tony LaRusso when I just when I was a reporter at large and covering the St. Louis Cardinals and Cubs games and just just him being kind of uh, curmudgeonly to me and standoffish and that kind of stuff you know like experiences that all reporters have occasionally with managers when when I was with the Cubs then doing pre and post I had Tony on the pregame show and you know it's a pre-recorded thing and I I went into a booth. I, I figured he, he would probably say no. He wouldn't want to talk. I talked to the guy for like two hours. So I came to like Tony LaRusso. So that, that's where I was coming from. Like, like he was engaged in the interview. He enjoyed doing it. It was one of those things where I felt like he wanted to talk. And it just went on and on and on and on for two hours. And I walked out of that booth thinking Tony LaRusso is, first of all, a great baseball mind. And I've completely changed my mind on what kind of guy, guy he is. Uh, but... After watching this season, watching most of the games just like White Sox fans, Tony La Russa, what he was, and we know the blatant errors that he made, Tony La Russa was always a step behind everything that was going on. It felt like. It felt like he was always a step behind in terms of positioning players, bringing in a reliever, knowing what when to substitute your outfield guy. Like he had it in his head thinking, as A.J. Pruszynski would say, four or five steps ahead, maybe he was one or two steps ahead. Um, it, it is as if, strategically, Tony La Russa is has not been the same manager. So I, I think that they really need to take a serious look at that and see if they can either change some of Tony LaRusso's ways or absolutely make a change. Even, and it's not like Tony doesn't buy into any metrics or any of the advanced statistics or positioning players or things like that. It's just that he doesn't do it as much as other managers in terms of taking advantage of what is at his disposal. So I do not think it's an automatic that you just bring Tony LaRusso back. I actually thought it was really interesting listening to Tony live on the post game yesterday. I had the earbuds in and I was listening to him and and as usual Tony very forthright and kind and interesting to listen to. Here's what Tony LaRusso said about his job and what will happen next year. Take a listen to this. Well, I mean, you know, I'm not going to talk about myself. I, you know, the, the uh, process I've used, well, once I had a little security, probably about the fifth or sixth year was, do they want you back? Because you don't want to come back because you had a contract. And I just, I just leave if they don't want you back. They say yes, and you ask the players. You know, you know they, they should choose who they want to manage. If you get both of those, then you check yourself. Uh, and I understood the importance. You know, if you have a contract, and I always waited so the ownership of the front office said, we want you back. If they didn't, I just walked away. But once you got theirs, but if you fool them and the players don't want you, then you walk away. So I always do. And once it gets those two, if those two are true, and I'll check and see, then you check and see whether you're, you know, you got the uh, you know, desire to continue to manage. So I do. So... But that's, I've been doing it for years. I mean, a lot of people that know me know that that's what I go through. I think it's a fair thing. It's, you know, it's fair to the ownership, fair to the uh, players. You don't get stuck with a guy that doesn't belong there. 
a pretty interesting way of looking at things. And, you know, one of the things that he said is, is that progress, because I think they circled back to it again, is that he would do that when he knew he was kind of in a position of power, when he had security. So if it is that three-phase project, I do hope that Kenny Williams, Rick Hahn, and Jerry Reinsdorf are honest in their assessment and they don't just look at it as yeah tony's our manager he's coming back i think that there are even at the age of 76 or more i should say at the age of 76 there are things that tony la Russa needs to approve upon or you don't bring the guy back you know like that's just one that's like it's like to me that's like minimal competency if if he is not, if, if he's a step behind and you and I can see those instances, bullet point for bullet point, and he doesn't want to improve on those kinds of things, then he's got to go. There's a much bigger discussion to be had. I'm probably not leaving myself enough time to really discuss Tony La Russa, but we'll get into some of that um, here in just a second when we go to Scott Merkin. The other thing is is Craig Campbell, and I know that there's the Bob Nightingale report that he is that they're gonna they're gonna pick up the option and then trade him, and that's fine. And this is this is where it gets a little bit conflicted for me because I do think that Tony Larusa should have made Craig Kimbrell the closer when he came to the White Sox. That that should have been the move. That you knew that. To that point, he was a better closer than Liam Hendricks, albeit the lights were off a little bit at Wrigley Field in a figurative sense because the Cubs were not playing well and the pressure is lower and all that. But let's face it, Craig Kimbrell looked terrific as a closer. That said, that said, one of the things about Craig Kimbrell when discussing him, it seems like there always has to be put in parentheses. Craig Kimbrell, whether he's being having a good time or a bad time in his career, well, this guy's going to the Hall of Fame. You know, he's a future Hall of Famer and all that. And I buy into that to some degree. But look, if you're going to be thought of the way you are and make the money you have and traded for the pieces that you were, guess what? You damn well better be able to pitch in the eighth inning or the seventh inning or in dirty innings or whatever scenario they put you in. Or guess what? <laughs> you're not a Hall of Famer. Because, I don't know, that, that's just a little bit too fragile for me. That if you can't, if, if, if the ninth inning is all you got, and you can't do it in the eighth or seventh innings, and I know everybody says, well, he's hyped up, he's amped up, and this is what he's made to do, and he's out of his element, was in the seventh or eighth inning, come on. I mean, it's, it's easier to pitch in the seventh and eighth innings, and I get it, it's difficult when runners are on second and third, and there's less than two outs. But you have to believe that a guy who always gets the, the attachment to the Hall of Fame, that a guy like that should be able to pitch in the seventh or eighth innings as well. So at this point, as he eventually leaves Chicago, and it'll be a very interesting couple of chapters, I think, in his baseball career when he writes it, his time in the great, big, beautiful city of Chicago, I think we all got to check ourselves when we talk about Craig Kimbrell, the Hall of Famer, when, when, we, when he's been exposed and a guy that is not able to pitch effectively in the seventh and eighth innings. I mean, you should be able to do that. The, the last thing that I want to say about the, the White Sox, and you can chime in too if you'd like at 312-644-6767, is the, the White Sox fans. <laughs> like, I think that the the White Sox fans actually 
do it right. And Sox fans have forever, in my entire lifetime, have been given crap because they they don't show up all the time. Attendance issues in regular season games. But I do think that there are reasons for that. I, I, but I will say this, that a fan base, there's no fan base that shows up better when it's for real. And, and really, that, that's the way it should be done, actually. Like, you should show up when your team is doing something big. And that's what White Sox fans do. Not only did they show up when it was big, it felt like it was better than anybody else's postseason fan base for sure. Like, and I even heard um, Adam Amin saying during the broadcast, and he's broadcast, done a, a ton of big-time games and has watched and been around them and all of that, saying that that was the, the first blackout game, Game 3, one of the best postseason experiences that he's ever been a part of. And if you were there, then bravo. And I felt it. I mean, I wasn't there. I listened to some of it on the radio. I watched a bunch of it on TV. And it was terrific. There was that, that rumble and that intensity. So while ideally it'd be pretty damn cool if they could fill up guaranteed rate field during the regular season, Sox fans kind of do it right. You know, we'll wait to make the two-hour trip on the Dan Ryan to find our way to the south side to watch them. We'll wait until it's worth our while. But when we show up, we're going to be better than anybody. So I wanted to make sure that I gave that shout-out to, to White Sox fans. 312-644-6767 is the number. Let's start with Sean. Hey, Sean, you're on the score. Yeah, you mean Mark? Um, oh, I'm sorry. We're going to go to Mark, my namesake, in Morton Grove. Hi, Mark. You're on the score. Hey, Hi, Mark. This, this, isn't, this isn't you. Even my friends, media... I didn't like the Tony hire, but it does seem very Tony-heavy criticism. I watch those games. When your starters don't go two innings, when you have eight singles, and no, are we, are we giving enough blame for the players and too much on Tony? I just, I'll hang up and just want to know what your thought is on that. Okay, yeah, actually, that's a good point because I, in game three, I, I actually blamed – or no, I'm sorry, game two in Houston – there was so much rage on Tony La Russa in that game for some of the pitching moves that he had made. And I, I was more, what I was more angry about was not letting Lucas Giolito come out for the fifth inning. What I zeroed in, because this was like you got a pass. Lucas Giolito walked two players in that fifth inning. Lucas Giolito, supposedly one of your aces, one of the guys that you win because of. He comes into the game, he walks a couple of guys. Now, he wanted the, what Tony, you know, and this, this we can go back and forth on, whether or not you bring in, you know, Aaron Bummer, who is going to face one lefty and then righties the rest of the way. He wanted to get that first guy out. And look, these are guys that, like, that's supposed, like, if there is one area, when you go matchup for matchup with the White Sox and the Astros, you'd have to say that, all aspects of pitching were better for the White Sox and the Astros, especially the bullpen. And those guys that got you there, helped you to get there, they failed you. So, yes, in game two, I agree with you. Like, I was on the opposite side of, like, everybody was after Tony on that one. 
I was after the players on that one, and I and look, Giolito walked five in in that game, and I heard people saying, "Oh yeah, he he looks strong." No, not when you walk five, especially not when you walk two in the fifth inning that ultimately opened the door up, and that was after the Sox had taken the lead in the top of the fifth inning. That if you are a ace starting pitcher, you shut that team down in the bottom of the fifth inning. And, you know, let alone giving up walks. And all of it went awry for Tony La Russa and for the players in that situation. So plenty of blame to, to go around. 312-644-6767. All right, Shawnee, Sean, do we go into Antoinette or Sean here? Or neither? Okay, we're going we're gonna to break. We're going to go with C. We're going to do neither. We're going to bring in, I tell you what, let's get the White Sox conversation going. We're going to bring in Scott Merkin next. He of MLB.com. He covers the White Sox every day of his life. So we will get his thoughts on the end of the White Sox season, and we will look forward with him as well. I'm Mark Grody, live at Night Games Bar and Grill in Oak Forest for the Miller Lite Top Draft broadcast. Merkin is next, and guess who's coming up at 7 o'clock? Lance Briggs, the former Bear, one of the Bears' best linebackers of all time. He will be with us from 7 o'clock until 8.30 out here in Oak Forest at Night Games Bar and Grill on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp and refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medela, the Markable Fighter. Trick responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. You have to grind all the way through that 162 to get there. That takes a lot out of you. Altuve hammers one to left. That might be the exclamation point of the series. First home run of the set for Altuve. That one felt a little deeper. That was the one where it was like, because if you're a Sox fan, you're, you're keeping every ounce of hope alive, even as the deficit got bigger throughout that game. But when Jose Altuve hits the three-run blast off of Liam Hendricks, it's get back on the highway, get back on the red line, and go home and try to figure out what the heck happened to the White Sox as they get eliminated in four. Welcome back to Night Games Bar and Grill in Oak Forest for the Miller Lite Top Draft broadcast coming up in about 35 minutes from right now. Former Bears great Lance Briggs will join me. He'll sit right next to me at the table. We will dig into the Bears. We will talk about the Bears-Packers 
matchup, which he, of course, knows a ton about. So looking forward to talking to Briggs out here. I, I see that we're giving away a pair of Bears tickets. So if you are coming to the bar, if you're coming to, to night games, come out to the outside portion, which is set up wonderfully out here. We have dueling Brandons over at the table. They It looks like they have brought with them some, some Bears um, pouches. So we're giving away Bears pouches and some Bears tickets as well. If you would just sign up for those, we've got Rich Wyatt out here who has, has set it up wonderfully for all of us. Very comfortable. The table has managed to not collapse here. That would be on me if it was to. I've got Sean Anderson back in our downtown Chicago studios as well running the whole show and doing a great job and i am mark grody joining me now to continue to talk about the chicago white Sox is scott merkin of mlb.com he covers the white Sox on a daily basis merk what's going on man how are you not much you're in my uh, old neck of the woods at, at once once upon a time i lived in uh flossmore with me and our family lived out there and covered many a prep event in the oak forest area there it's lovely here. I don't get to the south suburbs enough. I, I do my daily work in the northern suburbs with the Bears. I grew up in Itasca, the, the western burbs. But I got to tell you, Mark, the, the south suburbs are just lovely, and I see some people gathering out here right now, some Bears fans, and I assume that you guys are all Oak Forest Inns. Is that right, Oak Forest Inns? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All with Bears hoodies on. I absolutely love. Did you guys sign up to get some Bears? Oh, you've got a Bears. Par- Is that a, like a? That looks like a small Bears bowling bag you have there, ma'am. <laughs> Does it not? Oh, uh, Burke. I'm sorry, man. Um, no, that's I, all right. Always, I, always I just want to hear from I, I the South Suburban. <laughs> I, I want to ask you the question that I'm, I'm going to like, as long as I'm on the air for the next, you know, 48 hours in terms of relative to the White Sox, the question I will leave is very open-ended. What happened and what did you think specifically about the series before we look at it in a broader perspective? Yeah, I thought, you know, Houston was the better team. And we talked to Jose Abreu today and he thought experience made a difference. And let's face it, there's, Aside from the Dodgers, there's probably no more playoff-tested team going right now than Houston, right? I mean, this is their fifth straight LCS appearance. I think they're going for their third World Series appearance in those five years, if I'm not mistaken. I think they they won one and then lost to the Nationals, and this could be their third one. So, you know, that, that core, whether you like them or not, they are, you know, a talented group, and they know what they're doing, and they've been there before. And, you know, they came up with a lot of big two-out hits, and it was just, it just looked to me, you know, in the four games, the Sox had a great game Sunday. I know there's a lot of Sox fans who will never forget that moment of that game because it was as loud as, you know, pretty much almost stadium, any stadium I've been in before. It was, it was crazy. But, you know, aside from that, the, the Astros were the better team in those four games. Now, you know, this is the very, very early window of the competitive, very early opening of the competitive window for the White Sox. So, it's not like this was the chance and now it's done. And now what the heck do you do? You build off this and you try, you know, I mean, before you can start talking about winning a world series or multiple world series, you got to win a playoff series. Right. So that's the next goal. And just all these guys are going to come back healthy. They're going to come back with another year of experience. And now you add on to what this team has and see what you can do. So if I'm reading it, it right, Scott Merkin, it doesn't sound like you think at this point they need any, big changes or philosophical changes to this current roster. Would that be correct? No, I mean, you know, I mean, you can make tweaks here and there in terms of philosophical 
things you do at the plate or in the field or anything else, you know, holding base runners on a little better and that sort of thing. But, I mean, you really have some premium players locked in across the diamond. You know, just real quickly, you have Aloy Jimenez in left, uh, you know, dealt with the ruptured uh, pectoral tendon, which I'm sure I know threw off his season. You know, I mean, he he missed, you know, what, 98, 99 days, I think, and then, and then was tweaked, to, you know, hurt himself a little bit in, in the comeback there too. Luis Robert in center. You have, you know, Jose Abreu for at least one more year at first. Maybe he's not the core at this point, but he's still your leader out there. Tim Anderson, who's the heart and soul of that team at short. Moncada at third. You have Grandal for a couple more years. You, know, you have a young pitching staff with Giolito and Cease and Kopech. You know, you have Hendricks in the back end of that bullpen. So you have a lot of key pieces. So there's no reason to overhaul. You just, you know, have to kind of refine, I think, at this point and continue, you know, Jose used kind of, kind of cliche, but, you know, working hard, but it's the truth. You got to just keep going after what you want to maybe take, you know, just that next step the next time. Report from Bob Nightingale, and I don't know if this has been a, a confirmed story or not, that the White Sox plan to pick up the option of reliever Craig Kimbrell and then potentially trade him. Does that surprise you at all? Uh, you know, I mean, we haven't heard anything on that yet. I imagine we'll talk to Rick Hahn in the next few days, the next week or something like that. And he, I, don't, I don't even know if he'll talk about that at that point because it's not a decision that even needs to be made anytime in the near future. But, you know, the idea of trading Kimbrough, for Kimbrough, you have two really good pieces. You know, Nick Madrigal is the kind of hitter that not every team seems to feature all the time. You know, this is a high-contact guy, a 300-career hitter. I think we'll get a lot better defensively and base running. You know, I, th- I think people kind of made a snap judgment and some just really early returns on that. And he's a very young player who, who hurt himself this year, you know. And then Cody Hoyer, I understand, you know, he's a very talented reliever, but the Sox had a chance to get what they thought was going to be a, a, a veteran upgrade in a year they thought they could win the championship. So, you know, while Hoyer is going to help the Cubs, you can understand, you can, you know, find another reliever to help you in the same level. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what the future is going to be on that. You know, they have Liam Hendricks locked in as the closer, and I think past that they have to figure out, you know, what they want to do with Kimbrough, whether, you know, it is bring him back. I, I don't think they would decline the option. I think that was part of the deal was that they thought they, you know, they had control over him for the part of this year and next year. But, you know, whether you can find a trade partner or whatever. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if he – you know, is a better fit at a closer. I mean, he is one of the great closers in the history of the game, right? I think 371 saves. But I think it's just too early to, to figure that out because, you know, even the front office has some time to figure that out, although I'm sure they have, you know, frameworks done of what they want to do moving forward, even even with the season just ending not even 24 hours ago. Yeah, no no doubt about it. And it, it is true. A lot, lot of great things happened for the White Sox this year, and there is no reason to think that they won't be right back in the same position they were in this year in terms of winning a division and getting to the postseason, which gives them all sorts of chances to do lots of great things. Uh, I thought it was interesting listening to Tony La Russa yesterday and his, you know, his sort of three-part process and whether or not he's coming back, and that is, do the bosses want me back? Do the players want me back? And do I want to be back? And Scott Merkin, my question to you is, do you think Tony La Russa will be back next year? Yeah, I think as of right now, those all three of those are going to be yes. You know, I think, you know, he told us yesterday he wants to keep managing. He said, you know, we still have work to do. So I do think he'll be the manager in 2022 for the White Sox. You know, one interesting thing is 
that, you know, the White Sox have ran away with this division, even with all their injuries, even with their key players lost in Robert and Grandal and Kopech and Jimenez and Abreu dealing with a myriad physical maladies. The division was not good. It was a very bad division, but it was a very good team in the White Sox. Next year, the division is going to be better. You know, I, I think if Cleveland doesn't make any kind of wholesale changes, you'll have Bieber and Savali and um, Plesak back at the top of that rotation. Jose Ramirez in the field. Detroit is coming fast. They have a lot of good young talent. Kansas City is the same. I don't think Minnesota is going to be this bad, you know, next year. I think they're a much better team than they played this year. And I think that will help the Sox. You know, I had talked to a couple of scouts in the last, like, maybe six weeks of the season, and they said, you know, they had talked to other executives who were wondering how the White Sox would respond when they're playing better competition every single day. You know, I don't go by the record of, they did this against winning teams and did this against bad teams because everything's, you know, based on what you're doing in that game. You know, they may have played a winning team at the beginning of the year who ended up 30 games under 500. So it's very, you know, subjective on that. But I think playing in a better division does help you move forward. I think you look at a team like Boston, you know, that had to struggle just to get in and now they're in the LCS and they face great time. They, They played in the best division in baseball. So maybe that's too simplistic on my part, but I think that will help the the team moving forward with a, a better division, a better fight there. But I also think Tony LaRusso will be the guy guiding them, you know, as of now, as of October 13th for 2022. Yeah, yeah obviously things can change. I mean, Tony LaRusso himself could have a, a change of heart. Absolutely. Who knows, right? Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's so I mean, much. It, it could not, you know, it's, everyone in the world knows how, you know, challenging the last couple of years have been, right? You know, with, with going through, you know, COVID and all the protocol and just think about how challenging it is on top of, you know, managing a baseball season and you know like i mean he's a healthy guy but he's 77 years old also right so you know we'll see what he decides to do and what the organization decides to do but i would guess right now he will be their manager what do you think and i I realize that i've just kind of gone totally future on you here with the white Sox, but what what does become of Carlos Rodon now is this it for his time with the White Sox is his value gone down because his velocity went down what becomes of Carlos Rodon well Carlos Rodon's velocity was there in full force yesterday you know I believe he struck out Alvarez to end the first with like a 99.4 mile an hour fastball so it was it was back there and you know Carlos Rodon when totally healthy this year was as good as I don't know if I could say, yeah, I think I could say as good as any starter in baseball. You know, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but look at the numbers of starts that he had where he pitched at least five innings and gave up one or two hits, and that was it. I mean, it's it's off the charts what he did this year. And, you know, he explained to us this over the weekend, and I think we kind of knew it, but it became more crystallized. As you know, he pitched 42 and a third innings combined, not last year, but combined in 19 and 20. And I believe it was seven and two thirds last year. So he went to 132 and two thirds innings this year alone. So obviously your body's going to feel that, right? You're going to be a little sore. You're going to be a little fatigued. So I think, you know, he certainly put himself at the top of that market or near the top of that pitching market for free agent hurlers. You know, I know he's talked about how much he's enjoyed Chicago and it's the only organization him and his wife and two kids have ever known. So we'll see what he does moving forward. But, I, you know, I, I think there's always the concern when he's missed as much time over his career injury-wise. But then you can flip that and say, my goodness, you know, this is a number one or number two guy when he's healthy. Just look at what he did for a division-winning team last year. So, again, 
too tough to predict at this point, but I think there will be a, mar- a big market for Carlos Rodon. Yeah, and let, let's stick with some of the good, because there was so much positive about Carlos Rodon this year and the White Sox. And then Luis Robert, who last year was great for most of the year, and then he had like a horrible streak and then came back alive in the postseason, and he was just terrific this year from when he came off the DL to what he did in the postseason. Is he going to be getting the the national respect going into next season? Do you think he's going to be one of the guys that people circle as potential MVP candidate? Oh, yeah, I've said that. I think, you know, assuming everything he's healthy and everything's good going into spring training, I think that is a good, you know, kind of outside, not outside the box because he's coming fast, but I mean because he missed so much time during injury to injury this year. That's a guy who may not be one of the favorites, but a good guy to hit your wagon to in terms of, you know, to bet on in terms of, uh, you know, uh, sleeper MVP candidate. And, and again, it's kind of even hard to say sleeper because he's so good when he's healthy. I mean, really, you know, as Larusa jokes, and I guess it was Frank Thomas who said it in one of the pre and post game shows that he's, um, you know, a six tool talent. But I mean, it, it legitimately, he can do everything out there. You know, he's got power, he's got it for average. Speed, defense, he can throw the ball. You know, he's a very good base runner. So, I mean, he's, he's everything they want. He is kind of the fulcrum now of this rebuild. And, you know, I, I think it's another year of experience for him. But, again, it's not even, you know, they played 60 games last year, and then he missed quite a bit this year. So, even these this experience they're getting, even a guy like Dylan Cease, you know, they're really just kind of gaining into their major league legs, and we'll see what happens as they move forward. But he is an unbelievable – he's – I would say, if not the best, one of the best athletes in the game right now. And you can see he's really learning the game as he goes, too. He really is kind of getting the baseball nuances as he goes. Hey, you know, I'm going to ask you this, and I know it's been tough, too, because of, of access and you can't really get to know guys the same way. But he's like the one guy... That I, I don't really know like what kind of a person is he like a cerebral guy is he a quiet guy is he gregarious because he's one guy who's got like the poker face like I can't tell and I don't see too many stories about it either like what kind of a guy is he Luis Robert he seems just from the little we've talked to him not little but you know the interviews we've done he seems very kind of chill and laid back you know I mean like he's a competitive guy but just when he does the interviews with the assistance of interpreter Billy Russo who does a tremendous job for the White Sox. And, you know, you can still get a sense of what they're thinking, what they're saying, especially like a guy like Jose Abreu, who's done so many of these interviews now. But, you know, he just seems like a very cool customer. And I think that just comes with having that kind of talent and probably that kind of confidence that you can literally, you know, when you put the cleats on and put the uniform on and take the glove out to the field, you can pretty much do anything you want out there on any given day. Talking to Scott Merkin of MLB.com. I'm Mark Grody, live at Night Games Bar and Grill in Oak Forest for the Miller Lite Top Draft broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll one up that. Lance Briggs is going to be here. Lance Briggs going to be here in 15 minutes, 7 o'clock, for a full hour and a half of Bears Q&A, Bears Packers coming up on Sunday. Uh, Merck, the the starting rotation. What I asked, what becomes of Carlos Rodon? Is Dallas Keuchel just your fifth starting guy? Is is there a rebound from Dallas Keuchel next year? I guess that would be the hope, right? Yeah, I mean he's under contract, so you have what Giolito, Cease, Keuchel. Uh, I know I'm going to miss someone in this list. <laughs> Why am I doing this already? Uh, Lynn, of course, and then you know Kopech. I think you know they talked going into this year about both Kopech and Michael Kopech and Garrett Crochet 
being starters of the future. Now, neither of them had an abundance of innings. So, again, like I was just talking about Carlos Rodon going from, you know, 42 and a third combined over two years to 132 and two thirds. What's the jump that they can both make next year? And, you know, is it at the major league level where they're doing that to start with? Because, you know, maybe if Crochet is going to be a starter, maybe he's starting every fifth day for Charlotte or something like that, at least at the beginning of the season. But I mean, I think Kopech, they have, you know, they have targeted for the rotation. So there's certainly, unless I forget Ronaldo Lopez who had a, a big bounce back the year this year and is a guy who can, you know, start when you need him, but also can work out at Jody can work out of the bullpen this year too. So there are some options and, you know, Rick Hahn has said this, Kenny Williams has said this, you never, any, any GM in baseball has said this, you can never have enough pitching. So I'm sure they're going to go out and look for another, you know, veteran arm to add to that mix as well. Merck, great stuff as always. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward. Did you say there was some scheduled with Rick Hahn or you guys are just waiting for it? No, waiting for that. Wait, wait. Tim Anderson, who is another South Suburban uh, person, by the way, is uh, talking tomorrow. Jose talks today, and then I think Rick at some point in the next you know, week or so or something in that nature. Oh, yeah, and, and Abreu seemed like he supported Tony La Russa coming back, right, because in terms of the third phase of whether or not he comes back, was that, is that accurate? He supported him. You know, he supported And it wasn't just like today. He has talked very highly of Tony. And he was, you know, a big supporter of Ricky Renteria, too, in that matter. But, I mean, it just – He's talked very highly of Tony the whole season. Tim has, you know, most of the players we've talked to, if not, I, I can't think of any, as a matter of fact, who's even said anything remotely negative about him running the show. You know, a lot of the young guys really seemed to respond. Like, I think they really enjoyed playing for a guy who's won three World Series and six pennants and has 71 postseason wins, and they know knows what it's about. And this year, you know, it just didn't work out. They, they faced a team. You know, you wonder, I mean, I think a lot of people thought the winner of that series had a really good shot to, you know, at least get to the World Series, if not win it. And you wonder a different matchup, maybe it would have turned out differently. But, I mean, Houston really was the better team in those four games this time around. Scott, thank you for your time as always. I appreciate it. Looking forward to hearing your questions on Zoom with whomever the White Sox put out there in the next few days. And uh, we'll be reading your coverage on MLB.com. Thanks, man. All right, Mark. Take care. All right, buddy. That is Scott Merkin of MLB.com talking about the Chicago White Sox. Time for you to squeeze in a phone call if you'd like at 312-644-6767. I will refresh the text line here in just a second and see what you guys have been saying. We got Lance Briggs coming up here in about 15 minutes from now from Night Games Bar and Grill in Oak Forest. If you're in the area, certainly there is room for you to stop on by. If not, cuddle up to the radio, and hopefully you will enjoy the broadcast because it is Bears Packers week. I'm Mark Rohde. This is Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. What do you think of when you hear Packers-Bears rivalry? I hear, well, I hear Bears versus Packers first. And, uh, um, I mean, it's an extreme uh, thing. Uh, I love the culture of it, and uh, I want to be able to win every time. So uh, we didn't get that at all last year. I didn't understand the culture as much last year, but I definitely understand it now for sure. <laughs> Bears wide receiver Darnell Mooney earlier today from Hallis Hall talking about, yes, Bears-Packers rivalry, not the Packers-Bears rivalry. I'm Mark Grody. This is Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. 
It's uh, Night Games Bar and Grill in Oak Forest for the Miller Lite Top Draft broadcast. And as I speak, Lance Briggs making his way in here. Yes, sir. Number 55 walking up here. So we'll get the Briggs here to talk Bears Packers in just a little bit. I did want to read a, a few of your text messages at 312-644-6767. Um, the, from the 224, the White Sox lost in the playoffs the exact way that they've been losing throughout the regular season. They do not have the aces. Now, I would, I would disagree with that. The White Sox got to where they are because of the starting pitching, which for most of the year was straight up excellent. And things went badly towards the end. Obviously, Lance Lynn was bad in Houston in Game 1. Lucas Giolito walked five in in Game 2. Even Dylan Cease had his troubles, obviously, in Game 3. Save for the first inning, he looked great, and then it went south. So guys who regularly performed for the White Sox during the regular season did not, for whatever reason, during the postseason and I talked about even you know Giolito walking those two guys in the fifth inning that that was to me that was such a killer that game two the White Sox should have won game two you know they had taken the momentum they had taken the lead in the top of the fifth inning you've got Giolito coming back out there and I, I'm not putting Tony La Russa on watch for that one G Lucas Giolito he he's an ace he wants to be be that guy a number one or a number two in a rotation you got to come out and put a zero up and Instead, he walked a couple of guys, and then it was off to the races once they they went to the bullpen. So, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put it on the the that the Sox didn't have aces. They did have that all year long. Uh, Mark, when you say refresh the text line, do I need to resend my text? Nope, nope, it's all good. We have refreshed it. Uh, what about throwing away young 300 hitting second baseman Madrigal for Kimbrel? Yeah, that, that's interesting that somehow, some way it is possible, and I never thought I would say this, some way possible that the Cubs could end up winning that trade with, with Nick Madrigal as the Cubs starting second baseman as they move into their philosophical shift to more of a contact guy. So, and, and of course, and I've got the from the 847, Mark, the Astros just scored again. Thank you. Oh, and then also, from the 630, the Cubs signed Carlos Rodon? Question mark, question mark, question mark. We shall see. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a really interesting offseason for both the Cubs and uh, the White Sox. And if we have time at the end of the show, we will talk about it. But I want to take a break because I want to have the full hour and a half to talk to the guy who just pulled in right next to me. It is Lance Briggs. Former Chicago Bears linebacker. We will talk Bears and Packers next, live from Night Games Bar and Grill in Oak Forest for the Miller Lite Top Drop broadcast on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.